Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be a part of the action at Bet Online. I love Bet Online. I use them all the time. It's what I use for Ride with Razzie. You've been following Ride with Razzie the whole time. Shout out New Zealand. Uh, this week, giving you three more picks. We got the Ravens at minus two against the Colts. We got the Dolphins at plus four and a half. And we have the Bears at plus six. So head online to my favorite site, betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that is betonline.ag. Sign up today. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. Uh, uh. <laughs> we got Bow Wow in the house. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Believe in the Long Ball podcast with your hosts, Alan Styles and Orlando Razo. If you're listening to us, you're probably listening anywhere you get podcasts, so thank you for that. If you haven't rated us already, please give us five stars if you like us. If you don't like us, don't give us five stars, but at least let us know why. Orlando what, what what's the good word, man? How how are we feeling? I know the the listeners they need this break. The elections going on. We're, we're doing the the nation, the world, really, because uh, we're big in what Australia or where are we big? New, New Zealand. Zealand. New yeah, Zealand. So yeah. Came really out that just, we had six downloads. Yeah. Six downloads. So shout out! Shout out to our New Zealand listeners. Um, but how are you doing, Orlando? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Kind of escaping from. From what's going on right now, it's a lot of noise, a lot of noise going on. So it's a very special day. It's a very special day. We have one of our most special guests that's, I'm not going to say he's the most special because I don't want to disrespect anyone, but he is a Florida man for all you internet nerds out there. He's a musician. He is the pitching coach of the Seattle Mariners. Most importantly, he's a family man. He's a father of one. Congrats to him. Three, if you count the dogs, it's Pete Woodworth. Pete, Woody, thank you so much for joining us. We are, we're blessed. We're blessed to have you. Wow, quite the intro. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I take pride in it. I really do. And hello to New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for that. Thank you very much. Um, so we're not going to take... Too much of your time. We know you got a sleeping baby, like you said. You got a sleeping wife. So, you know, there's, uh, and we know all the noise that's going on right now. So we're gonna get right into it, and and we'll we'll get into the, like I said, musician stuff and sort of the fun stuff at the end. But I just kind of want to just dive right in, as as they say. Um, this year, you, it was your first year as a major league pitching coach. Which congratulations. I mean, that is that's awesome, especially. Um, in the short time that I was in the Mariners organization, it was it was awesome to see uh, your rise. And then when when I finally saw you got the job, it it made me so happy, truly. Um, extrapolating all the noise, I think I extrapolating taking out. I've, I've been working on my vocab, but what's something you learned this year? You know, as a first year pitching coach from from someone, whether it could be a, a player or a coach or like an instance in a game that 
that's going to stick with you for as long as you coach, like, cause you learn so much year to year, day to day, but what's something that you, that you picked up that's, that's brand, that was brand new to you um, coaching in the big leagues. There was a, it's a good question. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of new things this year for sure. Um, But I think the, the, the biggest thing that I learned, the biggest aha moment, um, was no matter the the experience no matter the years no matter how old guys were um it still kind of came down to the basics of of what we've always been doing and and finding ways to to simplify messaging and simplify um coaching to the individual player uh didn't didn't change whether it was you know Clinton, Iowa, Modesto, California, or, or Seattle. Um, and it took me a little bit to, to kind of get back to the basics. Um, you know, you, you, you think of the, the major leagues as this elite level of, uh, of ridiculous talent and competitors. Um, but it's, it's the same game. It's still 60 feet, six inches and the same adversity and the same, trials and tribulations guys went through uh at at any level in the minor leagues very similar to to what's going on at the big league level um so kind of getting back to to simplifying things and getting back to to the basics was was definitely something that happened in the second week in august that that uh kind of trickled over and made that second half of the season really uh, really fun and really special yeah, the numbers in the second half were really good, and and even veterans like there was, there was a game this year. I, it was against the Dodgers where Marco pitched, Marco Gonzalez, um, and I mean that I've watched him a lot on TV or just in the bullpen on the side, and that was the best I had ever. That was the sharpest I had ever seen him. That was the best, and he's had the games where he's executed and stuff, but I, I had never seen his stuff that sharp combined with, um, you know, the conviction that that he was bringing and that's that actually segues just great segue orlando and 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 you woody and you alan as well but that segues into that and, and you brought up the fundamentals and and it goes back to simplifying everything that's that's what you in the short time that we spent together that's what you were really good at is is connecting on a personal level level excuse me to players and getting them to buy in and have that conviction because we know that's so important. We, we interviewed Sam Delplane and he was going on and on about that and, and having conviction. How do you use your personal skills to, to translate and maybe what the front office wants in terms of analytics, but combining that to a, like you said, a simple message to get them to buy in and, and translate what, what the mathematical aspect is and turning that into a human um, you know, human thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's the, been the biggest craze the, the past couple of years. Um, and there's so much information now that it is, it's, it's important to be able to, from, from our seat, whether it's coming from the front office or our analytical department to, to digest that information and know how Orlando's going to interpret the information, how Alan's going to interpret the information the end goal is the same. Um, and, and I know you, you've heard control the zone, you know, 
a thousand times. Um, that's kind of what it all funnels down to. So no matter if, if we're talking about WOBA or um, pitch grades or strategic heat maps, like it's all coming down to the, to the fundamental basics of, of winning pitches, of, of controlling counts. Um, and I mean, in, in its simplest form, throwing strikes. Uh, so that was kind of the aha moment was it's not as complicated as we need to make it. Um, and then, like I said, like figuring out what works for you, oh, and what works for you, Alan, what works for each guy. Um, cause as simple as, as controlling the zone idea is every, every one of those 16 guys has a different description of that in their mind and when they're on the mound. So, um, I think that was, that was the biggest part of simplifying it was getting back to, to control in the zone. That's, uh, I think you're making Alan want to be a, a pitcher or wish he was a pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. A, a little bit more than, than I had in, in previous episodes. I'll say that. I guess my, <laughs> my first question is, is there anything within the Mariners philosophy that has been deemed you, your philosophy or their philosophy? Is there anything that it's like, like you just said, control the zone. Is there something that the pitching staff and everybody involved is like, this is how we go about things, not necessarily versus how other teams do it, but is there something that, Hey, this is kind of our thing, right? Like if you take it back to, to college, um, Fullerton and Long Beach, they're going to try to small ball you or that type of thing. Is there anything pitching wise that the Mariners try to do? And it might not be necessarily, we're the only ones that try to do it, but this is what we focus on. That, that's it. Controlling the zone. Mm -hmm. um, from the, the very first interview I had uh, in 2016, um, it was, it was new to me. Like I, I knew that throwing strikes was favorable um, for pitchers, but, uh, when it was presented to me and the information that backed it, uh, from the dugout, from the front office, from outside of, of the lines, it was just so easy of a, of an idea. Um, and then, like I said, the, the information backed it. Um, so that's been the number one thing for me. Um, and I'm sure Oak can attest to this, like, it, it, it's, it's our lifeblood. Um, mm -hmm. and we're not the only club that does it. Um, but you do get guys from other organizations, um, you know, talking with pitching coaches that have either left other organizations or, um, or, you know, have been in other organizations for a long time. Uh, it's, it's not as predominant, um, as it is with, with the Mariners. It is, it is our number one, um, it's our number one priority on the pitching side and the hitting side has a very similar, um, you know, philosophy and idea, but, uh, yeah, controlling the zone, dominating the zone. I didn't invent it. Um, but it is, it has been year in and year out, uh, the reason for our success at the minor league level, at the big league level, and really in the game, the, the best in the game do it better than anybody. Um, so it's, it's yeah. pretty simple once, once you see the numbers. Right. And so you brought up the hitters to so kind of take a small pivot a little bit. I know 
Orlando is like a, a, a kid on Christmas morning, you know, having you here to talk pitching stuff. But let's flip it a little bit. Is Have there been any situations or what is the relationship between the hitters and the pitching staff as a whole? Do you ever get hitters saying, hey, Pete, how would you, how, how would you pitch me? I know everyone know like. I know everyone knows there's a scouting report or anything like that, but any type of small talk, like not necessarily what are you seeing in my swing, but how would you pitch me right now based on what you're seeing? If somebody is kind of struggling a little bit, is there any of that maybe, you know, not official, hey, we need to work on you with the outside pitcher or just kind of small talk like, hey, I mean, I don't know, I'd, I'd probably bust you in right now. Is there any of that that goes on just on a day-to-day basis? For sure. Um, there was a lot in the minor leagues and, uh, one of, the, one of the things I miss about um, the minor leagues is you're, you're at your affiliate, whether it's Modesto or Little Rock, and, and you're there for six, seven months. Um, and it's just the manager, the pitching coach, the hitting coach, and now a, a fourth coach that helps out. Um, so there's no bench coach. There's, there's no analyst. There's no um, assistant hitting coaches. So you kind of take on multiple roles. You wear a couple hats. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do kind of miss being the bench coach um, as you know, the manager and the hitting coach are out coaching the bases. So I was kind of the only one in the dugout um, corralling Talk the hitters. Shop. I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Talk and, shop. Um, and a lot of those conversations happen in the minor leagues. Um, and I know a, a handful of our, are more hungry, hungry players, uh, Donnie Walton, uh, Jordan Cowan. I remember Jake Fraley having the conversation. Um, those things happened a lot more in the minor leagues. We're at the big league level. Like they have multiple hitting coaches. They have, mm. they have, uh, an advanced scout that's giving them a ton of information, you know, before every game, before every series. Um, so it wasn't really utilized a ton, uh, this year, but, uh, it's definitely something that, that, uh, happened in the past. Um, and I hope, I hope can happen in the future. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And you brought up the minor leagues. You are, you're pretty much, you're a homegrown coach. I don't even know. Is that common? What do you, would you, do you know if that's common? Just homegrown coaches, they just move their way up through the minor leagues like players do. I know umpires do it, but we won't even talk about umpires. <laughs> um, I, I don't really know a, a ton of cases. Um, wow. So granted, I don't, I, I don't have a big network and, uh, and I'm not going to lie. I don't pay attention to much outside of our, our, our bubble, but, um, but yeah, I, I mean, no one, no one really comes to mind. So that wasn't even my, my question, but the fact that we discovered that you are the first homegrown coach, uh, major league coach is pretty amazing. Um, does that, and, and the Mariners being such a young team now, and, and there's, there's veteran pitchers, but for the most part, it's a lot of young guys. The fact that you kind of came up with a lot of these guys that are now either pitching in the big leagues or just on the cusp on the tip of of the big leagues and how is that how's that helped you and and talk about how that gives you an, an advantage um when it comes to the learning curve of, of scouting reports in the big leagues and, and just overall execution 
I think it helps the players um, more than more than me. I, I feel comfortable whether it's it's Marco or, or you say um, Taiwan Walker, Kendall Graveman coming over. Um, you know, more veteran guys from from other orgs. Um, so you know, I, I'm thinking of the the Justin Duns, the the Justice Sheffields. Um, you know, Gerber, Art Warren made his debut last year. Those guys that that we've built that relationship, I feel like it's it's it makes it a lot more comfortable for them um, to have a familiar face, to have someone that uh, that they trust, that has their back, that has their best interests in mind, um, and that they they I don't want to say they can relate to, but um, that that relationship's been built. Uh, so those guys, you know, can hit the ground running. There's no, you know, trying to impress the, the big league pitching coach. Like they, they already know who I am. They've already <laughs> impressed me in, in the last three or four years. Um, it, it definitely is really rewarding to, to see those guys um, make their way up. But uh, I, do, I think it's more beneficial for them than it was for me. That is, that's actually very interesting that you say that because I was kind of expecting the opposite. Like I'm already comfortable with these guys is kind of just like a hit the ground running thing. And it is, but that is, uh, I mean, that's why you're, you're where you're at. Cause you're looking at it through that perspective, always uh, a player's coach in, in the truest sense of, uh, of the word. But I mentioned a lot of the young guys and you did too, you know, uh, Let's put it this way. The Mariners system is absolutely loaded now. I mean, there are studs all over the place, position players and pitchers. I mean, when I was there, it was controlling the zone, but I controlled the zone at 88 and now everyone's controlling the zone at, at 97. Um, but there's someone in your system that I don't think gets gets talked about enough. And maybe I'm just blind to it but he's one of the best pitchers in the minor leagues and he's gross. And I don't know if this was because I honestly don't even know what it was because of, but Logan Gilbert, I, I feel like should get more hype. And I know he was at the, um, in, in Tacoma, like at the alternate site. Um, mm -hmm. But why does no one talk about Logan Gilbert? And I know you said you don't pay attention to it, but this guy is truly one of the best pitchers in the minor leagues and he's disgusting. For sure. And, and you're talking about being on the cusp. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Logan Gilbert could have pitched and could have dominated in the big leagues this year. Um, but that wasn't, that wasn't part of the plan uh, for the future and, and for the best interest of the, of the organization moving forward. Um, but you are you are not wrong. Um, the the second that that he that he showed up to to Little Rock, I was I was blown away by not just the stuff, um, but the the ability to flip the switch into that kind of crazed competitor, um, Walter as as uh, as some people call him, um, and and the the preparation and the professionalism that. He goes about his craft. Uh, I've I saw it this year with with Marco Gonzalez and uh, Nick Margavichis is also another uh, elite preparer. But uh, what Logan Gilbert does on a daily basis is it's tough to uh, tough to match. So um, 
he may not be talked about a lot right now, but he definitely will be next year and for many years to come. Why do they call him Walter? That uh, if if you have him or Cal Raleigh on, they'll they'll know a little bit more. But that's his uh, his alter that, ego when it's when it's start day when he gets between the white lines. It's like the Russell Wilson, like Mister Unlimited. So that's he's Walter. Logan's one of the nicest kids. Um, really very soft spoken. You know, for for six foot, you know, fifteen, he's uh, he's a very very calm. Um, he's a nice kid, but uh, it is one of the most intimidating mound visits uh, to go out there. You know, he stands on the mound, so he's already, you know, three feet taller than I am, um, and he's looking down on you and, and you know, he's foaming at the mouth. So the uh, the Walter alter ego is uh, it, it's real and uh, it's it's part of that batter hitter or uh, batter pitcher you know, confrontation battle that without even throwing a pitch, he, uh, he has the upper hand. That's awesome. That, that's always great. When, when pitchers like have that, I mean, you have to, if you're going one-on-one up against someone, you know, for however many batters you face, it's, it's, it's locked in every time you have to have some sort of, of weirdness, whether you're perfect, which he's a perfectly normal kid, but you got to have some sort of, you know, sauce, you got to have some sort of sauce. You got to have some sort of juice always, got to. always. So bringing up players in the pipeline and who's already in the big leagues, the Mariners had a great year in terms of the young talent starting to develop gold glovers, you know, um, rookie of the years rookie of the years you know exactly so my question awesome. is my question is you know in the generic sense like the 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 typical question you get is what does the organization feel they need to start doing or i guess continue to do to start to turn that page and um you know take it to the next level as far as competing in the AL West and beyond Great question. Um, I think if if you've paid attention to 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 what's on the cusp and, and what's coming up, um, we already talked about Logan Gilbert, but the the George Kirby's, the Isaiah Campbell's, uh, Brandon Williamson, um, a, a handful. Brian I mean, Paul. You, saw, you already. Brian Paul. Yeah. Uh, go blue. Um, there, there's a ton of arms that that are that are knocking on the door that are we'll see in 21 and, and 22 and, and beyond. Um, but the the Jared Kellenics and the Julio Rodriguez is Nuove Martes. Um, those guys that are not too far um, from from putting that uni on in Seattle, I think kind of complete the 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 monster that will be the Mariners here uh, in 21 and and beyond. Yeah. I mean, everybody that we've had on and obviously Orlando's has, has a lot of connections within the Mariners organization, but even just in general, like you said, we're starting to see with the accolades coming through the, the proof is starting to show up in the pudding here. And I feel like if you're a Mariners fan, you got something to, to really be excited about. I do have a question and this is really it could be seen as a basic question, but I think it's good for people to know, including myself. So 
uh, I'm from the Bay Area, just like Orlando. And, you know, I follow my San Francisco Giants prospects and things like that. And I look up and games are being played right now in the instructional league. And I feel like nobody was talking about it. Can you just pretend nobody knows what that is and kind of speak to that? Because with COVID, it is a little confusing that these guys didn't get to play a minor league season, but now there's an instructional league. So even myself, who I feel like I'm, you know, pretty well versed in this, I, I was kind of taken aback. Like I saw a highlight and I was like, dang, that was a bomb. And then I thought about it. I'm like, where the heck are they playing right now? Now I did my Google work, but I would love to hear um, your explanation of this league and, and what's going on. Great Google okay. work. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so obviously without a minor league season, there was, uh, you know, the majority of minor league players didn't have uh, a season, didn't have games, didn't have competition. Um, the the ones that were fortunate enough to be invited to the alternate site, um, a handful of those guys were kind of like the, the AAA team that were preparing and and ready at, at a call to, to help out the big league team in, in whatever manner. Um for us, we had, I think, all if most of the guys we drafted this year, and then a handful of our prospects, Logan Gilbert being one of them, um, Isaiah Campbell, George Kirby, those guys that we talked about, um, to to get some innings under their belt, to to develop, to uh, continue on their on their plan. Um, but the rest of the guys, you know, were at home. Were you know, wherever they were. So uh, I imagine most other clubs like, like ourselves, uh, you know, kind of created a fall league. Um, it's basically extended spring training in the fall. Um, and there's a handful of games a week. Um, so those guys that didn't have a season, you know, can, can get some ABs, can get some innings, can continue to, develop and and grow in the in the areas that they need um instead of just having a complete wash of 2020 and trying to show up to 21 um with with no with no innings under their belt Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense i just i was i had to do a double take real quick i'm like what's going on here there's a lot of good prospects too there right i mean you guys got some of your your top guys there yeah Um, i I mean the the, mm -hmm. The video no. that you referring to was Luciano, right? Exactly, the, exactly. Well, and that's what I read when I Googled. It said mo- most of the time, this is for, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys that just were signed, but because of the situation, some guys that were a little further along went to just get some work in as well. We have guys um, from all over the map uh, at this fall instructs. Um, why it's there. Jack Anderson, um, uh, a handful of older guys that that weren't uh, didn't have the opportunity to to work out in Tacoma at the alternate site, um, and then a lot of our younger guys that uh, that we want to continue along their path. So um, the the updates and and the highlights have been have been fun to watch and and look at from afar, uh, but it it, it kind of seems like. Uh, a fall semester for college. Like there's a lot of development going on. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work with our strength and conditioning staff to, to kind of build bigger and better machines. And then, like I said, they play a couple games a week to kind of 
you know, test it out and, uh, and challenge guys with, uh, with in-game. No, like, classes, though. So no. it's not that it's not nope. like that but no it's biology. like the fall yeah no biology no history you're actually a history major i that's on your wikipedia page we'll get into that um in a second it's not <laughs> uh, do you yeah have you do you look at your wikipedia now that you have one like did you just get one i didn't know i had one until now until right now wow yeah no it's actually longer I'm not saying like I'm uh, that I expected it to be just like one little sentence, but it is longer than I than I originally <laughs> um, expected it to be. So we had Dalton Jeffries on. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dalton. He is in the AL West, um, and we're we're a Mariners and we're an A's pretty much AL West whores, um, to put it bluntly. But obviously, probably the most pro Mariners. Um, but we had Dalton on and he was talking about his big league debut and he had a moment um, where it was just kind of like an oh shit moment where he was just like, well, like, you know, I'm in the big leagues. You're, this is your first time coaching in the big leagues. I mean, that's still, that's incredible. So was there, what was kind of the oh shit moment? Like I'm actually, I'm a big league pitching coach now. Like, you know, I haven't made it, but this is, this is the pinnacle of pitching coachness is uh is this so what, what was that oh shit moment um it was the second or third game of the season we uh we opened up in houston um and and taylor williams who we had acquired in spring training um uh, so brand new to the org uh he's out there to close the game he's got he's got the top of the lineup so he's got to run through springer um Altuve, Bregman, Michael Brantley. Um, and I, I want to say we had a three run lead and uh, he gets two outs. And then I think Brantley hits a double. Uh, someone else hits a double. So we got the tying run at the plate. Um, and, and it was kind of like in that moment, I was like, holy shit, like this would be a ridiculously huge moment if there were 45,000 people here, like this would be a completely different uh, emotional state right now. Um, and I was, I was still like very, very hyped up. Uh, you know, the adrenaline was flowing, but I just kind of took a moment there and looked around. I was like, this would be really, really cool. Um, if you had 45,000 people, you know, cheering against you, but uh, that place would have been rocking. Uh, and so I would have been really excited for Taylor Williams to, to strike that last guy out and, and finish that game and get his first career save. Um, that was, that was really the moment that it kind of sunk in for me. I was actually watching that game. So, I, I mean, I watched a lot of, we won't get into my free subscription to the MLB package, but I watched a <laughs> lot of, of Mariners games this year. So I, I do remember that that was, and we haven't even talked about, covid really at all just because we're trying to keep the good vibes obviously take it seriously wear a mask everything in that nature but yeah i mean i guess we do have to ask a covid question like how weird was it like at first obviously you you do your best hey you know no distractions it's baseball it's still the fundamentals of the game etc but i mean we're humans like this shit's pretty weird 
tell us like how, how different it was and how much of an adjustment it was at first. All right. Well, before I say this, I, just, I want you guys and, and everybody in New Zealand to know how much I, I loved Modesto, California. Um, but it was very similar to playing a, a, a Wednesday game in Modesto. Um, you know, there's 17 people there. So um, I was, I was kind of used to it. I was used to, I, I didn't, I never coached or played in front of 45,000 people. So um, it, it really wasn't that weird for me. Um, and you got used to it really quick. Um, every, <laughs> I know that you hear the Zach Grankies and the, and the Jock Petersons like yelling, but it is very quiet. So it was kind of eerie to kind of hear, hear the emotions of the game and hear guys, uh, you know, you can hear them in the box. They're only 20, 30 feet away. Um, so that was kind of the strange part was that, uh, you, you could hear all of the game happening. Um, but it, it really wasn't that, that different for me. And then you got used to it really quick. Hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, shout out to Modesto, California. I'm, uh, for the listeners out there in the United States and beyond, uh, shout out New Zealand. I'm wearing my Modesto nut shirt right now. So, yeah. um, but that is, that is very funny that you say that, uh, Al, do you have anything, anything else for our guy, Woody here? Yeah, just real quick, you know, saw you went to Florida Gulf coast and I just had to ask, is there really any reason? Well, first of all, I know Florida Gulf Coast always is in the mix. They're always competing. They always got some flamethrowers. But in a, in a state like Florida, do you even have to leave the state to play a 60-game season? I mean, how many colleges are out there? I, there's no way. Do you have um, a rival? I mean, you, you have like 18 rivals because they're, they're ev- the schools are everywhere. You're not wrong. Um, we had a, we had a bone to pick with, with every single club, Um, (laughs) you know, we had some beef with, with Miami, um, you know, they didn't want to play us at our park. Uh, you know, we had beef with Florida. We'd always play a a four game set and they'd always beat the tar out of us. Um, I think the, the USF, the FAUs, um, you know, UCFs, those, those other kind of mid-major D1s were our, were our big in-state rivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our, with our conference, we had Jacksonville, we had UNF, and we had Stetson. Um, so I, I know the, uh, the tensions with, with those schools were always really high because um, we were always competing for the same players, um, you know, from the, from the coaching side. Uh, there's a ton of talent in Florida. So, you know, the, the eighth graders that are throwing 94 are already committed to Florida and Miami and Florida right, state. Right. Um, so the, the Stetsons and, and UNF USF were always competing for those, um, I don't say second tier guys, but <laughs> <laughs> for the late bloomers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, I, I would say in conference, the, the Stetson matchups were always, uh, were always pretty good. Um, and I, I won't forget uh, Chris Sale punched out like 16 Stetson Hatters, but the shortstop Jacob DeGrom hit a solo home run off him. Wow. I, I've heard that story before. Wait, this is could be all-time bad research on our part. Did you play with Sale? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was going to say, um, I went to a junior college before I went to temple university and I'm pretty sure the guys kept telling me what would have, what my freshman sophomore year, when I was still at the junior college, before I went over, they played Florida Gulf coast and faced Chris sale. So you were probably on that team, which is pretty funny. Small world. Wait. So what's other than that, like what's the best sales story that you got? Oof. Um, we had a, uh, I got a lot. I don't know if they're suitable for this podcast, but. <laughs> oh, they probably was, are, uh, for sure. We had, uh, we had given up a couple O2 hits. And so uh, the new rule was you had to run five miles if you gave up an O2 hit. And, you know, back then, college, there was, there was quite a bit of running. So it wasn't, it wasn't that crazy. But uh, the very next game we played, uh, Sale had a no-hitter through eight. And in the ninth inning, some dude hit like a, a squibber, a swinging bunt, and uh, O2 and got a hit. Uh, and I, I remember we, all the other pitchers, we looked at it like, you think he's going to make him run five miles for that? Uh, so that rule kind of got, kind of <laughs> got banged right away. Uh, weren't going to make Chris Sale do it on a, uh, on a swinging bunt. So, right. Right. And, and you were a history guy, you know, Agamemnon is not, he's not holding Achilles, you know, responsible. <laughs> he's not held to that, to that same standard. Um, before, before I let you go, uh, the short time we did spend together is a, a game in San Jose. Uh, this is my final question. You almost had a different path other than, than coaching. We had a great talk. I'm not sure if you remember. It was one of the more actually, cause I, I got to pitch at home in front of my family and all that stuff. Um, but you know, the next game I had the privilege of just talking shop with you in the dugout, talking baseball, talking life. And, uh, you know, you said you, you almost had a different path. You almost were uh, slapping the bass, or not slapping the bass, but playing the guitar. Uh, kind of go into a little bit of that, of, uh, of how that almost came to be. Taking me down memory lane. Um, in high school, it was two things. It was, uh, it was baseball practice after, after school every day and then, uh, and then band practice at night. Um, started in a garage and uh and moved up to uh to an old creepy warehouse downtown um and uh we we made a couple albums we uh we did a couple big shows uh and uh we we didn't really have to decide but it was uh it was go play college baseball or pack up the the gear in a in a white van and travel the state of florida playing uh playing bar mitzvahs or, uh, or shows for, for 30 people on, uh, Fort Lauderdale beach. Um, I think I made the right choice. Still pretty cool experience, set of experiences though. I mean, I'd imagine. There's, uh, there's nothing like being on, being on stage, uh, starting off a show spotlight on you. It was uh, bright light. It was it was pretty cool, man. For the for the twelve people in in the crowd, it was uh, it was pretty fun. Damn. Well, I'm sure I'm sure they're they're waiting to hear in New Zealand what you got. Um, Al, you got any uh, any final questions? Any follow ups to to Woody's uh, musical career? I think I think we covered coach career. (laughs) All right. Well, glad you guys didn't have it playing uh, in the background. So thank you for that. 
Spotify. I haven't... Where can we find yeah. it? Apple Music, Spotify. You want to plug the uh, plug the band? <laughs> it's actually we're we're pretty big in in New Zealand, so I'm sh- I'm, okay. sure, uh, I'm sure I'm sure well those known. guys yeah. have heard the uh, the Botsko album before. There's probably some uh, overlap of the listeners that listen to this, listen to your music, same thing. It's the same fan base. This is a great interaction, but right. no, this has been this has been honestly way better. I thought this was going to be awesome. This has been very, very amazing. Um, we really appreciate you having you on and you're welcome to come on anytime. Uh, you know, we're, we, Carson has given us the, okay, I'm going to go public with that. Um, so we're, we're looking to get Carson on soon. Like I said, we're a Mariners podcast, so you're welcome on anytime. We, we appreciate you coming on. You better, uh, you better change it to the uh, Joe Rogan long format podcast with Carson. You may be here for a couple hours. <laughs> we have no issue going on. Yeah, if it wasn't uh, for Orlando, uh, if it wasn't for our time constraints today, I, I think you might be setting up camp where you are right now because you wouldn't have been out of here um, in less than three hours. Hey, whenever you guys want to do this again, let me know. Woody, it was great having you on. We'll talk soon. Good to Appreciate see you. It again man yeah it was great as we gotta whenever you're back in arizona you know just i'll give you a holler you give me a holler maybe we'll hit the links we'll maybe we'll catch a band uh we'll maybe do you can come sing uh the national anthem for a spring training game there you go i don't think the people in new zealand have heard me sing so <laughs> we'll uh we'll have to rain check on that but uh it's coming it's coming soon <laughs> thanks again woody thanks so much thanks guys you got it Fantastic interview, huh? Great interview. You know, Pete really came through and um, even though he's on the big stage, he didn't, he didn't forget about guys like us and you got to appreciate that. No, he's, he's a, he's a player's coach. He's a man's man, man of the the truest man of the people truly. So he's welcome on anytime. Uh, That was better than I thought it was going to be, like I said, Uh, but we do have uh, a special dead ball. I would, okay, I, would be, I feel like I wouldn't be fulfilling my duties as a host if I didn't just give the people this. I've actually, yeah. this isn't just some blatant statement. I've actually had a couple of people say they really like the segment. So there I don't go. know how New Zealand feels about it, but uh, we're going to talk about the, this isn't necessarily dead ball. Okay. Uh, this is somewhat recently, it happened in 1985, but it, it's a great story. It's, it's really mind blowing. I never heard of it before. We're going to talk about the Pittsburgh drug trials of 1985. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? I do not. I do not. Okay. So several current and former members of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Dale Barra, Lee Lacey, Lee Mazzilli, John Milner, Dave Parker, Rod Scurry, and then other notable major leaguers, Willie Akins, Vita Blue, Keith Hernandez, Tim Raines, Alan Wiggins were called before a Pittsburgh grand jury that led to drug trials. So the testimony, John Miller Milner had a testimony about Mm -hmm. getting in amphetamines from hall of famers, Willie Mays and Willie Stargell. So his accusation was that not only were Willie Mays and Willie Stargell bona fide superstars on the field, they were also slanging rocks off the field or on the field slanging everywhere, anywhere, any, any time. Right. And Milner added that he bought two grams of cocaine 
for $200 in the bathroom stalls at Three Rivers Stadiums during a Pirates-Houston Astros game in 1980. Wait, how much? Two grams of cocaine. How much money was that? $200. Oh, uh, you well-versed in the... uh, no, no, I thought you said 200 billion. Oh, oh no, 200. <laughs> Did I say 200 million? I don't know. We'll have I don't to know. watch the tape. We'll check the tape. Check the yeah, tape. we'll check the tape. But no, $200 in the bathroom stalls uh, worth of cocaine. Keith Hernandez also testified that about 40% of Major League Baseball players were using cocaine in the 1980s. But he quickly backtracked, saying that he might have been wrong. Tim Raines had admitted to keeping a gram of cocaine in his uniform pocket, as well as revealing that he snorted during games. None of this surprises me. None of this. No. Does this surprise you at all? No. I mean, I hadn't heard of the trials, but we, we've all heard that from the dawn of time, as far as baseball is concerned, they were drinking, they were doing drugs. So... It doesn't surprise me at all. Isn't the eighties? Isn't that when? Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, Bon Jovi. Well, the, Bon Jovi. A lot of like even the World Series, like guys were ODing, right? Well, the like, eight, I mean, the Mets. Just the Mets. A the prime Mets. example, I, right? Like, you know, they had guys that missed the parade because of so a, a, addiction. I, I didn't know sensitivity, but yeah, I did not know um, this one specifically. But does it surprise me? Absolutely not. So did anyone go down? I mean, so clearly they, not. Had, they had suspensions and then they ended up all getting reduced to fines. But like, <laughs> were amazed. they, but were they guilty? Like did Vita Blue and Willie Mays, two Bay Area legends, did they like, what happened? Curtis Strong was convicted on 11 counts of selling cocaine. So he's the fall guy. He's the he fall guy. He received a 12-year prison sentence. Okay, so he, they're like, Curtis, wow, you're going to have to hold shit. this, bro. This guy's selling to all <laughs> ma- He was probably major league baseball player supplier. No, no he's the like, fall guy. There's no way he was alone. Who do you think was kingpin in major I don't league know. baseball? I would, was Willie Mays kingpin and he was just Somebody like, that didn't go down because it definitely – you never catch the big the big dog. So I they mean, look at this, this actually had some pretty hefty prison sentences. Uh, Dan Dale Dale Schiffman indicted on eleven counts. I don't know if these are drug dealers because it says also that drug dealers routinely frequented the Pirates locker room, so they just had drug lords coming in and out of there. Um, it's, there's no rules in the '80s. No man, like if you look at the Hank Aaron home run is just mm-hmm. prime example A. Where right, the guy's running on, around with him. Just run on the field with him to celebrate. Not COVID like, friendly at all. No, no. I mean, simpler times, <laughs> man. But no, these, yeah, there, there were some pretty hefty uh, sentences. No, none of the play, they, there were some suspensions, but then they were pretty much reduced to fines. So, it's, it, you know, I mean, not a whole lot of accountability, but. Well, look at, look at um, Oregon now. It comes full circle. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah. Some criminalized drugs. Some state issued right. heroin. We got to uh, check if there is there any connection? Is there anyone from these trials that live in Oregon? Did they facilitate a the, politician, maybe? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Well, here. So you yeah, got to follow like, the, the crumbs. Follow the is, crumbs. Yeah, it's like the Tommy Tuberville just won for Senate mm-hmm. in in uh 
Alabama and he was, you know, head coach of Arkansas, I believe in Auburn. Right. This is, this is that. Um, but, but the drug version of it, drug but version. yeah, I mean, overall, this is an awesome story though. Just the fact that we had guys, you know, mid game, just saying like, Hey, I hope to God, I don't come up because I got to go, you know, purchase some cocaine. Right. Later. And then do it and then play the game. And because they're, you know, a lot of these guys are addicted to it. They're just, I mean, these guys are ripped by the seventh, eighth inning. Right. And, and if you have any of these guys that are now grandfathers or maybe great grandfathers, probably grandfathers, they're sitting here watching us joke about Cody Bellinger possibly being high on marijuana, which he probably isn't. We all know guys that just look high during the games at least and they're probably sitting there like they're probably sitting there like i don't care if he's high during the games or not do you know what we were doing back back in my day but <laughs> that is eight true. before the fifth inning it's like it's who true. cares if he smoked the J or a doobie before the game <laughs> i know if anything like i mean probably helps some people right if right if he's getting ripped or in there's the no game, way right. you don't run faster on coke there's no way oh my god yeah i mean i don't know if maybe one time they, I bet they overdid it a few times, but yes. for the most part, I bet it was, it was a that, great benefit to them. I've always wondered. Yeah. The whole 60 time thing, how that started. Did like someone coked out just from first base, run a second, just keep running. Just <laughs> straight all the way through, just kind of lost it. Blacked right. out for a second. Right. And they're uh, like, you know what? How fast did he run that in? And now we have the six yard dash. Now that's, that is how they got it. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, that's all I got uh, for dead ball. Great dead ball. Drug, tri- drug trials. We'll have a, we'll have another one for you next week. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Twitter at longball underscore pod at yes, Orazo at the underscore styles files styles with an I. And we will uh, catch you next week. See you in New Zealand. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.